Well, thank you so much to all of those who have helped to put our worship services together today. Um, we had um, Derek Simons, who offered our special music today, for uh, Sally Ritterbush, who, offer, who is our liturgist, uh, for uh, Rachel Pringle, who offered our children's time, and Erica Stampley, who was her technical support in that as well. Uh, Madeline Barr, who is our in-person acolyte today. Um, we also thank all of those who have been ushers and greeters um, for our in-person worship services. Uh, for Gary Brubaker and our praise team who offer our music. Thank you. Um, it's so appreciated for what, what everyone has to offer for these services. Now, um, we are in the second week of our series on Sunday School Stories Growing Up. Um, because for those of us who went to Sunday School, we learned a lot of stories. Um, and if you didn't grow up going to Sunday School, maybe these stories are new for you. But we learned stories like Noah and the Ark, uh, David and Goliath, or Zacchaeus, or we'll close the series with the story of Paul and Silas. And sometimes when you hear these stories as children, they sound one way, and as adults, they sound just, just different. Maybe different details, or even the message of the story may strike us differently as adults. So this morning, we'll look at part of the story of David and Goliath. So would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, <clears throat> there are sometimes these stories, um, stories of scripture or just stories in general, that they just start to take this life of their own. And I think that the David and Goliath story is one of them. I mean, even if you don't have any church experience, this is a story that you're probably familiar with, even if it's just in the name alone, David and Goliath. It's sort of one of those classic tales. Um, I mean, it's a rousing tale that most people have heard of. You know, it's the classic tale of the underdog beating out the slated winner. It's probably used a lot in sports metaphors um, about these underdog teams who, who beat the national champions. Um, sometimes it's used in political, uh, political conversations of, you know, um, the new person coming in and beating the incumbent or, um, Sometimes it's used um, in talking about social justice, um, of, of someone coming in and, and, and upsetting uh, traditional roles. And, and, you know, it's a common story, the underdog. And for those of us who are um, fans of the underdog, I mean, this is a story that we love to hear. I mean, truthfully, I think we all really love to hear these stories because it gives us all a little bit of hope that if, you know, if that little guy did it, then so can I. Um, or it may, cheer, uh, may encourage a whole community or a population that, gosh, if that underdog could do it, then so can we. I mean, and okay, let's be honest. I mean, when you hear this story, it doesn't go the way that you think it should go. And we've probably heard it so many times that it's hard to remember that. But when you hear the story of a child going up against a giant, you don't usually think, yeah, I think the kid's going to win. I mean, in typical story fashion, that doesn't make sense. And yet, well, here we are. 
Now, and who would have thought in all of the possibilities in the story to send up against Goliath, Saul would send David. You know, King David, a child. David, the shepherd boy, a child. David, the future king, a child. This is a child. I think sometimes we forget that because the story has taken on such a life of its own. And, and when we hear David, we think, oh yeah, like adult David. This wasn't adult David. This was child David. And who would have thought in hearing this story that this child, this little boy, David, would defeat one of the largest men of the army? And now here's the other thing. These stories that we hear, these stories that we have, they're stories about humans. And if there's one thing that is true about humans is that we are not one thing and we are not one story. I mean, in your life, think about who you are and who, how you have come to be who you are. We have more than one part to our story. And... And for David, this is one part of his story. Now, when you think of your story and all of the parts of your story, there are probably parts of your story that you love to tell, where you're the hero or where things went so great for you. But those stories that you don't like to tell about maybe when you weren't the hero, maybe you were the villain, or maybe you're ashamed of something, or maybe things didn't go so great, and yet it's still your story, but it may not be the parts that you like to tell. The same is true with David. I mean, David has a lot of these rousing tales within his story, and then there are parts of his story, well, they're not good. And I think one of the things that we often do, especially with people from the Bible, is is we put them on these pedestals. We put them that they are these incredible people of faith, which is true. And, and maybe even this, this, this almost unattainable perfection, that they were so good that I can't be. And one of the things that I think is incredible, incredible about the people and the stories of people from the Bible is, well, they weren't perfect. In fact, some of them far from it. And you could argue pretty convincingly that David might be one of those people. And also, David was incredibly faithful and he was believed to have been one of the best kings. Some called him a man after God's own heart. It's complicated, really complicated. This is... This story that we hear today is a great part of David's story, and it's not the whole story. <clears throat> so let's talk about this story. And I think that even within this story, well, I mean, the David and Goliath story is, is a great story, right? Um, story of David's triumph. There's this other interchange that happens with the story. When we call the story David and Goliath, we don't call the story David and Saul, but there's this interaction between David and Saul that I think, I think has a lot to share with us too. 
Saul was the anointed king at this point. And so he was in charge of, of the country, in charge of the nation. And there's this battle that's being waged. Um, and this isn't, this is, this is a battle for like national security. It's not just like for sport or for a game. Um, this is very serious. And Saul has been doing everything that he possibly can in order to win this battle and make sure that his country and his people are safe. And then comes this cha- challenge from Goliath. Goliath comes along and, um, and Saul's at a loss. He's supposed to send an ordinary man, according to Goliath's cries. Well, and here comes little David, bringing his lunch, bringing lunch for his brothers, his brothers who are fighting in the battle, and little David, who is not old enough to fight, who is the shepherd boy, is bringing lunch for his brothers. And David, David has the audacity to go up to Saul and say, I'll do it. I'll I'll defeat Goliath. I mean, maybe it is only a child who can have that kind of audacity, but it's also kind of ridiculous. I mean, again, we picture David in this like adult form, but he was an adult. This is a child. And it's sort of like, imagine a child going up against like Andre the Giant or Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I mean, this is not fair. It is not a fair advantage in the slightest. And Saul recognizes this as first, like any logical human being would. And he tells David, no, absolutely not. I am not sending a child. I am not sending David to certain death among against this giants. And I don't know if David is just audacious enough or maybe naive enough or brave enough to keep pursuing for this chance to go against Goliath. And somehow he convinces Saul that he should. And so I almost feel like even as the words might have been tumbling out of Saul's mouth, that he might have been like, what? Like, get back in there. I'm not saying that. And saying it is one thing. But was Saul, what was Saul thinking? And so Saul reluctantly sends David. And, and this is where the interchange between David and Saul is really interesting. Saul is preparing David for this battle. And in doing so, he gives David his armor. Saul is offering David protection that he knows will work. And unfortunately, it's a little too big for David. And so David takes it off and goes in with his own weapons. No armor, a slingshot and some stones, and ultimately defeats Goliath. And as David rejects Saul's idea of using his armor, again, Saul has to be thinking that both he and David are out of their minds. First, he lets David go into the ring. No armor, no real weapons, just his slingshot and five stones. That's it. And then David beats Goliath. Saul not only didn't expect 
David, of all people, to volunteer to go up against Goliath, but also didn't expect David, of all people, to win. And not only win, to do it without any armor. I mean, that's... Do you see how ridiculous this is? And it's one of those stories that I think that people would walk away almost just shaking their heads, being like, you just have to be there. Because who would believe this story? And yet, we do. So let's go back again to that interchange between Saul and David about this armor. You know, the one where Saul puts his armor on David. And I think that there's, there's a lot happening within that. Sure, it's offering, um, it's offering weapons and armor, but it's actually more than that. You know, Saul is entrusting the fate of the country, of all these people, into the hands of this young person. And Saul has told David of the consequences if he should fail. David knows that this is a matter of national security, and he is willing to tackle it head on. And Saul agrees to trust him. But first, he tries to make David do it his way. And that just doesn't work for David. He has to do it his own way. And I mean, maybe it was, I mean, some people could say that it was careless of David to cast his armor off and to go into that ring with no protection. Or maybe they'd call David immature or naive for not accepting Saul's help or even wrong or ridiculous or uh, for even volunteering at all. But it's not like David was rejecting the armor of Saul. It was just too big for him. He couldn't walk in it, let alone go up against Goliath. And as far as volunteering, I mean... It's not like someone else was. Goliath had been making this cry for a few days and no one else had offered before David volunteered. But there were others around. Saul and his army were still around when David went into this battle. And they weren't going to let David get killed. So although he wasn't wearing armor, he had protection. He had people around him who were there to support him and give him what he needed. And while Saul and the army were there, and no doubt a physical reminder for David that he wasn't alone, God was with him. God had called him. God had always been with him. And even in some ways, David thought that he'd been prepared for such a moment as this, of being that shepherd boy, protecting the sheep with his slingshot. I've done this before. I know how this works. David wasn't alone. And he knew it. God was with David, and God didn't leave David when he stepped into that ring with Goliath. I mean, 
What kind of God would that be? Well, too big for me. That's not how God works. You know, I mean, it seems like it's a big deal that David rejected that armor. And while he did, he didn't reject armor altogether. Just wasn't your typical idea. Now this story, David and Goliath, I mean, you can make these comparisons even with your own story of stepping into the ring and facing your own giant. What is your giant? Maybe it's college or work or relationships, retirements, new births, weddings. I mean, especially over this past year and a half, we've had giants that we have stepped into. And you've no doubt, you've no doubt spent much time thinking about that and gearing up for, for writing the next chapters of your story, whatever that story might be. You have supportive family and friends around you that are your armor and support. You have a community of people who love you and cheer for you and are there for you whether you win or lose and won't let you fall. Or when you do, they're there to pick you up. And just like David, God is with you as you step out in faith. God won't leave you. I don't think we can, I don't think we can hear that enough. God won't leave you. God never abandons us. You are not alone. God is with you. And so as we continue to write our stories, there will be hard times. There may be times when you want to pack everything up and go back to something safer. There will be times when the work is too hard and you want to quit. There will be times when life is just hard. That's not a secret. You've been there. Maybe you're there now. You are never alone. You have support as a community of faith. We go together. And always, always remember, God is with you as you face these challenges. Go forward in faith. You're not alone. God is with you. So let's step up and suit up. Let's go.